As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour Weekly Show, hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I'm joined today by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Um, we are excited to be part of the Andy Staple Show and Friends Feed, which is back in action now that the season is fully underway. You've got Max, you've got Sam, you've got Ari, you've got Andy, you've got all sorts of crazy bets. I'll be making picks with them and doing game preview shows later in the week. Um, but here on Power Hour, we will talk about things a little bit differently. Um, we will talk about everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. We may make you thirsty while we do so because we've got some fun segments with some fun names. So if you would like a cold one, please get a cold beverage while you're listening to us. Uh, Chris, it is great to have you back. I am excited to get underway. And we're going to start with the Power Five, which actually, do you, do you think we might need to rename this at some point now that the playoffs expanding and, and maybe we'll get rid of calling people the power five and group of five. You know, we might need to uh, already. I'm sure group of five fans didn't exactly love that, but it's not about the power five conferences. It's just about the five biggest news things we want to hit and look after an absolute crazy week one of college football. There is no shortage of topics to get into here. Absolutely. Um, in true power, hour fashion, we will give each other Uh, We'll give ourselves and each other a minute to cover one of the most pressing issues in college football before the buzzer sounds and it's time to move on to the next one. Um, We will, some of these topics we'll come back to later in the show, but we just want to hit five right out of the gate. So I will go first. Um, The first of the Power Five topics is uh, the college football playoff is expanding by 2026 at the latest. It is going to 12 teams. Uh, Six highest-ranked conference champions, the six uh, highest-ranked at-large teams, first four, uh, the four highest-ranked conference champions will get buys. The next four teams, five through eight in the the bracket, will host games. And if it sounds familiar, it should, because this is essentially exactly what was proposed over a year ago. That ended up stalling out, that ended up not being implemented back in the winter, meetings that Chris and I covered very uh, extensively 
what was it, seven sets of meetings, Chris? I think it was seven sets of in-person meetings that we covered. They did not get to agreement on expansion. They finally did. The president's announced it on Friday, and we will hit this later in the show in the happy hour segment. But the playoffs expanding, and that is massive news, even though they kind of snuck it in right on the eve of the season. Yeah, the way I kept thinking about this was you and I, and you especially, had been working on this for years, and then they just tweeted it out. <laughs> just yeah, like that. Just, yeah. all, right, all right, fine, we're doing it, and the season's starting. Like, after and, a year of contention. And Incredible. it was the exact same proposal that everyone had issues with. Well, not everyone. Uh, there that there were three, three votes again. Yeah, nothing changed. Nothing changed. Everyone worked through it, um, but you're right. It was just kind of okay. We are just fed up, and we are just we are just putting it out. We will get into that further later in the show. Okay, yes. give us give us the second for the Power Five. Number two news on Monday: LSU defensive lineman Mason Smith out for the year, according to the Athletics Brody Miller and others. A torn ACL suffered essentially while celebrating on the first series of Sunday night's loss to Florida State. He kind of just galloped in the celebration really truly a freak thing really sucks to see that he was a freshman all-american last year uh hope he's able to come back uh better faster everything like that he was number 12 on on bruce feldman's freak list six five 300 pounds he was a sophomore uh, big loss for lsu on top of what was a obviously frustrating game loss but brian kelly's got a lot of work to do and he'll be doing it without mason smith yeah, that was a bummer, and I hate when it happens on stuff like that. He was just excited, you know? He, he was just excited for his teammate, and I, I hate seeing freak celebration uh, injuries. So that is a bummer. That was happened really early in the game. Um, obviously, you know, certainly factored into the game. But, uh, yeah, it was not the debut that Brian Kelly wanted with LSU, and uh, the rest of the season is going to get a little tougher without Mason Smith. Uh, number three. Texas Tech quarterback Tyler Shuck was injured in their opener, and he will be out for sure the next two games per head coach Joey McGuire, probably three, he said. So that would include the Texas game. Um, it is a collarbone left shoulder injury, so they've got Houston up next, then NC State, and then Texas. And in his stead, Donovan Smith came in 14 of 16 for 221 yards, four touchdowns. And, you know, he had a, a couple really nice plays. Um, I, I do think Texas Tech is going to be fine. But, you know, this is just a, a bummer for the Oregon transfer. And, you know, this is Joey McGuire's first season. And obviously, you know, he, he won the starting job. So hopefully he can get healthy soon. But it looks like Tyler Shuck is out for at least the next two games, probably at least the next three. Yeah, two straight years now that uh, Shuck has sh suffered an injury. At least, hopefully, this is not season-ending like last year. Uh, Texas Tech and their win against Murray State, 14 different players caught a pass. Uh, so that exact Kitley offense uh, certainly made a, a good impression. Oh, uh, number four, wait, hang on, yeah. hang on. Chris, uh, that sounds familiar. Was he maybe in our 40 under 40 list? Yes, Zach Kitley, 31 or 32 years old right now. He was the Western Kentucky offense coordinator broke the NCAA passing records with Bailey Zappi and all that. He's at Texas Tech now. And so Tyler Shuck is down, and he's got a few options to work with. But that that upcoming stretch of games, Houston, NC State, Texas, that is not the time you want to be uh, dealing with a quarterback injury. 
No, that's also uh, one of the more interesting non-conference schedules. I feel like there's so many teams that we've talked about a lot this season so far that have like nobody. And this is really tough. We're going to learn a lot about Texas Tech, especially without Tyler Shuck. Absolutely. Uh, Number four, uh, two big defensive injuries at Michigan State. Linebacker Darius Snow out for the year and safety Xavier Henderson, uh, TBD. He was on crutches on Friday night. Michigan State uh, pulled away from Western Michigan in the fourth quarter for a comfortable win. They've got Akron this week. They should be fine. But Michigan State travels to Washington in two weeks. And Washington just put up 45 points on Kent State. Kalen DeBoer, the new head coach. Michael Penix Jr., the Indiana transfer quarterback. Uh, Washington may may have something. And for a Michigan State team that had some defensive question marks at times, these are one, maybe two, uh, pretty big losses, especially Henderson if it's a period of time. So a uh, tough break for their Michigan State early on. Yeah, defensive questions at time is a nice way to put it. Um, this was a defense that really struggled, one of the worst passing defenses in the country last year. Um, really trying to take some strides, uh, make some strides on that side of the ball. Uh, number five, the fifth and final of the Power Five package. Uh, Anthony Richardson was absolutely the breakout player of the weekend. I feel like I don't think we've ever done a Heisman straw poll this early in the season, but I would guarantee <laughs> if we did one at the Athletic, he would be at the top of the list coming out of week one. Uh, he was 17 of 24 for 168 yards, uh, over 100 on the ground, three touchdowns, long was 45 yards. Um, you put this in our in our notes. I mean, he he did look like Vince Young in terms of his slipperiness and how hard he was to tackle. The speed was incredible. Um, I know this is not a new adjective for for Anthony Richardson, but he really was electric in the swamp. And I think that if he does what he did against Utah throughout the season, we are going to be talking about a Heisman Trophy finalist. And I also think that Florida is going to be a lot better than maybe people had them pegged entering the season if he has a really special season. Yeah, I compared it to Vince Young just because of his size. And I'm not talking 2005 beats USC Vince Young. I'm talking 2004 beats Michigan in the Rose Bowl Vince Young, where he was just unable to be tackled. And just the slip, like the slipperiness, but also the strength to stay on his feet. Look, he's still got a lot of room to, to go. Sometimes he ran when he should have passed. Sometimes he passed when he should have ran. But the physical tools are absolutely there. And I couldn't help but think... That if this guy plays last year, uh, ESPN studio analyst Dan Mullen may not be an ESPN studio analyst at the moment. Uh, he stuck with Emory Jones last year, who's now at Arizona State. Anthony Richardson, he might be the guy. Yeah, I think he is. And we also saw him throw a little bit more. thought saw the zip on the ball. Because, again, he was kind of really used mostly just as a runner. Um, and I think the, those were some of the questions heading into the season was who, what can he be as a passer and, and what would this look like with him in control? So that was one of the best games of the weekend, Florida, Utah. Um, it is what we love about the non-conference, those true home and home games and the idea of a team that uh, practices an altitude coming to the swamp. Just a fantastic game. Um, and, uh, so anyway, that is just my final plea there as we wrap up, uh, the power five is just to please keep scheduling those things. And yes. <laughs> this, 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 this dovetails nicely into, um, our happy hour segment, which th- this is the part of the show every week where we're going to either find something that's meaty, that is positive, 
or at least neutral, but is uh, we're going to get to our on the rock segment later when we talk about some friction and some venting or some uh, drama that is unfolding somewhere in the sport because there's always something. But this is something that we are actually both quite happy about. We mentioned this earlier. We both covered a lot of these college football playoff expansion meetings over the last year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. They didn't get anywhere. There was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of tension. And in January, there is an 8-3 vote. The three votes uh, hold up the whole process because this is a decision that needed to be unanimous if the playoff were The alliance. The alliance. It was the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 who voted against it for different reasons. We can get into that in a second. And it needed to be unanimous because if they were going to expand in the current term of the contract with ESPN, which is before 2026, it needed to be unanimous to break some contracts. So ultimately, Chris, what happened is the presidents decide we're going to act. We're going to hold a couple of president only meetings. The world is changing, essentially, and, and we're going to do something. And so Friday comes down. They said we're adopting. We voted unanimously. We're adopting a 12 team college football playoff. Six highest-ranked conference champions, six at-larges. You've got the first-round buys. You've got home sites. You've got basically the exact same thing that they all looked at last year. But they essentially said, we're doing this now. We felt like someone had to act. Someone had to lead. And if we do it now, there is a chance that we can do this in time for 2024 or 2025. And uh, so so basically, uh, what, they lost seven, eight months? But they're yes, going to try to exact, do it, the same yeah. thing. Yes, that's exactly what Greg Sankey said on Saturday. He spoke to us, a group of reporters at the Oregon-Georgia game. And basically, he's like, yeah, we just wasted eight months of, of doing nothing. And this was very much the adults telling the kids to figure it out. Like, this was supposed to be the commissioners agree on a model. They recommend it to the presidents. The presidents adopted. This was the president saying, this is what we're doing. Now you got to go figure out the details. And no more horsing around and all that other stuff. Yeah. It, so um, just to reiterate that, like that, it really did go in a strange order um, because <laughs> the the it was supposed to be like ground up that the commissioners work out the details, present it to the presidents, and it's one of those things where like you don't take it for a vote until you know it's going to be voted on it, it, to the vote that you need it to be. This is top down. So this is the president saying, we agree on the format. You guys now 
go figure out if you can get out of those hotel blocks, if those venues have availability, um, how this would work, if we can do it early, talk to ESPN, figure out a package that you can take to the market for 2026 onward. But we will we'll approve the bare bones of the, the model. So it's definitely unusual. Um, it did come right on the eve of the season, which is strange timing. But I, I think because it's positive and, and for the most part, very positively received, I think that it probably added a little something to the weekend. I mean, we didn't have a ton of time to dissect it heading in because this happened like late Friday. But I do think that even just like when you're watching these great games, I, I mentioned Florida, Utah, like I, I do hope that this new system incentivizes more games like that because there are more at large spots. There's more paths to get in this. But Chris, ultimately, I think what it does is you start a season, you go through a week, week one, like we just did, and there's more teams that have a path to being part of the major postseason event right now. I mean, most of the sport is starting the season knowing that they have no shot. Yes. And first, your point about playing more games that matter. Teams had scheduled ahead preparing for this. We've got Ohio State-Texas series in 2025-26. Ohio State-Alabama series, 2027-28. Ohio State-Georgia, 2030-2031. Oregon after that, like, those big-name programs have scheduled games 8, 9, 10 years ahead of time because they knew the playoff was going to expand. They know you can take a loss, and it's okay. And, hey, if you bring Alabama to your stadium, you won't have trouble getting fans into the stadium to make more money and have more fans attend. So, yeah. You know, we we had Ryan Day on BTN on Monday, and he was asked about this, right, because they just played one of these big games. They just had Notre Dame, and it was an yeah, electric exactly. environment. And he said that he hopes that this does incentivize that type of scheduling. And, and it really should. You're, you're going to need the selection committee to actually value it and not eliminate teams who take a loss like that early just because it's a loss instead of going undefeated, which we, we there's always that tension. But if they incentivize this, that type of scheduling should be great because you could be, you know, Georgia or Florida have these loaded schedules and you win a couple of these marquee games, maybe you lose one or two, but it shouldn't knock you out. You should still have a strong resume. So hopefully the selection committees moving forward do continue or actually incentivize this. Uh, that's part of it. But Chris, what else do you like about officially knowing that we're going to a 12-team playoff? I like that we're no longer going to have to go through the dance of explaining why an undefeated team does not make the playoff. It's the only sport like in the world where you can win all of your games and not at least have a shot to compete for the championship. Yes, this was normally group of five teams, but there was Auburn in 2004, you know, pre-BCS uh, days we had this too. Now we're not going to have to deal with any more of that crap. We're just going to have to, the, the teams that are going to be on the outside looking in, competing for a spot, are going to be ranked somewhere from 10 to 15. And you know what? It's not the end of the world if they don't get in. And that is what this sport has needed for a very, very, very long time time because there's, you've got literally like three quarters of the sport more than that probably five sixth know that they have no shot at winning the national championship uh in college football and that's okay that we're, we're not trying to say an expanded playoff is going to change who wins the national championship it's going to change what everybody can shoot for it's like making the NCAA tournament when you have the selection show and you see the teams go crazy 
you know, with, with at their watch parties when they get in. That's something that everybody can come around and take part in. And if you're Alabama, if you're Georgia, yeah, winning the national championship is the goal at the end. And yes, we're going to get more Alabama national championships as a result. They're going to get more mulligans. And that is something that the uh, anti-expansionists, I guess, uh, have, have kind of pointed to. But it's not about changing who wins the national championship because we already can't do that. We're already in an Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia loop. I'm fine with continuing that if we at least have other teams make it in, host playoff games, create more electric environments, and overall just make more games matter. I think there's a couple of layers to what will matter too because everyone always worries about the regular season and the fact that there's so much riding on each individual game, so there's more to play for. There's a couple different layers. You'll, you'll be playing to make the playoff. You'll be playing to get to the threshold where you get to host an on-campus game, which is going to be amazing, by the way. Yes. Then there's the threshold of getting to have a buy. I mean, like there's three different layers that people are going to be playing deep into November to determine. So I think that that's a really smart piece of this proposal is that there's there's three different things that people are playing for, kind of like in the NFL where you play for home home field advantage, whatever. It's it's a little different. I I don't think NFL is is the perfect comparison, even though you know obviously that's it's national people care and like part of what they want to do with this is take it to a market so you have multiple partners like the NFL does for their postseason. But I, I just think having three different layers to play for is, is really smart. I, I think too, to me, and I don't know how this hasn't sunk in for, for people. Again, yeah, of course, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State and those those programs are going to win national championships. But it's not about who wins them. This is about access and engagement. And so, like, we don't think a 16 seed or a 12 seed is ever going to win the NCAA tournament. But that doesn't take anything away from the off chance that they pull off an upset. It doesn't take anything away from the fact that like they can put up a banner when they make the tournament and a lot of teams do that or they add the year to it. Like there, there's something about that that matters. And I think it's going to affect the way that we frame conversations around sport and not just we like me and you, but the whole ecosystem. And also there has been this impact on recruiting that I don't know if when they created the 14 playoff that they necessarily thought would happen like I think this was an unintended side effect that if there's only six teams that ultimately are really competing for a playoff year in and year out well if you're one of the best players and you want to go to the NFL those are the places that prepare you for that but then if you want to play for a national championship you got to go to those places so you kind of just get in this pattern where they're reloading and they're not rebuilding and then no one's going to other places and I just think if more teams are making the playoff or have a path to it I do think you're going to have that talent disperse a bit also with NIL and the money that is going to be brought in from an expanded playoff, um, you know, really will be important to some of these leagues that are not the big 10 and the sec. So that's going to play a factor as well. Yeah. Look, the big 10, the sec, they're going to get the most spots. They're going to get the most money. They still have to figure out the revenue sharing of how that's going to work out. And that's fine. But if you're, in what's left of the Pac-12 and you can go 10-2 and and make the playoff, you're probably not running to go to the Big 12 now necessarily because the money's not going to be all that different. That's If you hate 
Super Conference realignment, the expanded playoff is good for you because it's likely going to make more conferences survive. The SEC and the Big Ten could have gone and made their own playoff if they wanted to. They did not. Um, The SEC has specifically discussed the idea, but they did not do it. We don't know how long this 12-team model is going to go, but this hopefully will actually slow down realignment, which is what the Alliance ironically wanted last year when it created the Alliance. So, and we talk about more games mattering. That's the beauty of the 12-team model. This is what we said a year ago, is that, like you said, there are three different levels of something to play for. We just had an SEC championship game where Georgia lost and still made the playoff. You can't tell me an expanded playoff is going to make the SEC championship not mean anything when that just happened. Now you're playing for a bye. There's more on the line in many of these situations. That's why I think that's awesome. And I got to say, I, there were a lot of people I saw have been on the fence about expansion. But when they saw the first round is going to be on home sites, that's what that's what got a lot of fans into it. Oh, you're going to see an SEC team go to Camp Randall? Oh, we're going to have... Uh, you know, somebody else go out and, and play at USC or something like that. Like that's going to be a lot of fun because I think a lot of us are kind of tired of these neutral site, dry environments. You put a playoff game on a campus and that is going to be an incredible scene. And that more than anything else, I think is what I can't wait for. Yeah, I agree. I think that is going to change a lot of people's tunes. Um, and some of the, I do want to hit on, you know, what changed before we get out of this topic because I have been getting that a lot. And you mentioned that, you know, you were talking to Greg Sankey with some reporters and he was just kind of saying like, you know, we just wasted nine months to get to the same end goal. But let, let's talk through what actually changed because the, the whole college sports landscape changed. This was proposed yep. originally right before my birthday in 2021. So this is how I help remember what the day was. It was, I believe it was June 10th, 2021. So this was before NIL happened, which changed how college sports work a bit. It was well before, a month and a half before uh, Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, which then did prompt the formation of the alliance and created a whole lot of tension throughout college sports and distrust. And you and I covered these meetings. It was tense between different commissioners. There was poaching happening at multiple levels. Group of five leagues were poaching each other And then those commissioners were also in these meetings into the fall. So all of that was happening. You also had a number of brand new commissioners. George Klyovkov hadn't started yet. We didn't know who he was when this was proposed. We didn't know the name. Um, There was, so there was a lot of moving pieces. Then even to, to it getting voted down to now, you had the Big Ten add USC and UCLA. The Big Ten sign a major media rights agreement and consolidation happening and clearly moving towards that direction. I was talking to Mike, Mike Oresco from the American on Friday after this came down and he used the term power two. he said P2. And he said that he thinks the consolidation factored into these presidents deciding, Hey, we need to do something that, that has access for everyone, and that includes the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the ACC, that they have a path to the playoff, that they're tethered to each other in this as well. And he also made the point, again, he used the term P2, but he said these are leagues that are now adding these blue blood programs, 
and they're going to need more spots. So the at-large spots right. in this model work out well for the Big Ten and the SEC. But, you know, so you had, just again, to hit on a couple of things, ACC wanted a 360 holistic review of college football and the calendar and talking to team physicians. That is, that's happened. People have worked through that. People feel better about, about the health and safety issues. What the, timing? The Big Ten was hung up on automatic qualifiers. Kevin Warren told me at media days that he was coming off of that because, and I mean, I think you can see it, right? Like the, they had their media deal done. They, they've got, they've got oh, everything, okay. the value of having automatic access to the playoff. And then the Pac-12 was concerned about the role of the Rose Bowl, which now that the Big Ten took the LA schools, it's kind of devalued in the first place. And Not then, much of a Rose Bowl left. It's still there, but it's not. it doesn't carry or throw around the same weight. And the Pac-12 is also concerned about revenue distributions. And again, I think they got a little more clarity about that. That is still TBD. So those issues have been worked through enough to the fact that this got to be unanimous. This was not a majority. This was not 10 to 1, 9 to 2. Like this was unanimous, which means they could try to implement it before 26. So what changed... The landscape, the college sports change. You're, you're moving towards consolidation and professionalization. And I think it was really important for the 10 FBS leagues to do something together. And as Mark Keenum, the chair of the board of managers and the Mississippi State president kept saying on Friday, it's about what is best for college football and that's crowning a national champion. And so you need to have all of these regions and all of these leagues tied together to do that. Yeah, and it also helped that the ACC and Pac-12 realized what we said a year ago, which was, hey, you may want to secure a spot in this playoff so your conference doesn't become obsolete. The other thing this does is add probably half a billion dollars to the amount of money you're going to make from the playoff. And there is no ignoring the role that surely plays and what that's going to do for schools, And which brings us to another point of this expansion, which is the players at the moment, are not getting any cut of that additional money. Jim Harbaugh, who has said before that players should get part of the TV money, said again on Monday the players should get a piece of the, the college football playoff television money. So there is a growing support for that. I doubt that's coming from the commissioners. Uh, we asked Greg Sankey about that exact thing on Saturday, and he instead pointed to players can get loss of value insurance now and the Austin case allows schools to give players more money for different things but it's obviously not on the same level that the conferences and schools are going to get from this I know there was a big old hubbub about Kevin Warren saying a few weeks ago on HBO that uh, he could see players getting paid look basic business tells you that they're not going to do it out of the goodness of their heart they're the conferences, the schools, they're going to pay players when the courts require them to do so and probably in no other way, unless they decide, hey, if we're the first conference to pay our players, that will help us get better players. So, yeah, there's the, the, the big elephant in the room here is a lot more money and additional games being put on the players who are not receiving any more money from that, and that's a topic that is not going to go away. It's a perfect segue into our next segment on the rocks. We're just going to go through the rocky relationship between a fan base and a coach or between 
uh, a head coach and a coordinator, or in this case, um, that's, it's just a broad one, right? About like the players versus the establishment, like the system, the way that college sports operates. That is absolutely something that continues to be pushed and friction exists. And people are talking about revenue sharing or collective bargaining more than they ever have before. And again, I, I think everyone feels that there is a sense of inevitability towards the change in the business model, but we just don't know exactly what's going to force it and what happens. Um, so let's get into uh, the first on the rocks topic, which again, it's time to talk it out. There's friction somewhere in the sport and we're here to help work through it. We'll start with the rocky relationship between the Pac-12 and the college football success. playoff. Oh, success. Okay, the Pac- <laughs> the Pac-12 and success. Take it away, Chris. It was a bit. It was a bit. It was a bit harsh, but yes. Look, the Pac-12 is now one in eight in Week One openers against the SEC over the last eleven years, uh, and seven of those eight Pac-12 teams are ranked. That includes Oregon against uh, Georgia, a forty-nine to three beatdown this weekend. That includes Utah losing at Florida. Look, it's not good. It's not. It was not a good debut for the Pac-12, and I think one thing this weekend should have shown you is, hey, it's a good thing the Pac-12 decided to support playoff expansion before it was too late. Because, look, I, I, I wouldn't even say Utah and maybe Oregon are necessarily out of the playoff race. That's the nice thing about it. Florida goes, you know, our, our friend Ralph Russo pointed out, hey, if Florida goes 9-3 and three and Anthony Richardson is a uh, Heisman contender, you could see an 11-1, 12-1 Utah team making the playoff. I don't think they're out. You'd have to go undefeated in Pac-12 play, which almost never happens. But the Pac-12 is in a tough spot right now. It's soon losing USC and UCLA. And having Utah and Oregon, your strongest other programs, debut with such um, debut with losses is a tough start. It is. I think it's more problematic the way Oregon lost. You wrote about this, but sort of just the gap between a Georgia program and like kind of those, the, the ones that we pencil in for the playoff every year and the group of programs right behind it and the talent and the, the speed and the athleticism and all of the things that you need. But I, I think that's concerning. I'm with you on Utah. I wrote this in the top 10 overnight. I get that I'll be called a Utah Homer or something, but like most years there's at least two or three, one loss teams that make the playoff. Somebody has to have the fourth spot. If if Utah wins out, they will be in the mix for that. And that's absolutely true. So just keep that in mm-hmm. mind. We love to have these sweeping comments, which again, in an expanded playoff, can't wait not to do this. Can't wait to not mm-hmm. eliminate yes. an entire conference off of one week of games. But that has been a problem in the way that the 14 playoff era has gone, the way we talk about it, the way we frame it. But also the Pac-12 has been particularly bad, as you mentioned, in early conference, out-of-conference games, head-to-head Power 5 versus Power 5 league games. And then there was that year they were winless in the bowl season. I mean, these are the times where, for for better or for worse, people are comparing leagues and relative strength. And it just is, it's a black eye. And they've got to get better in these situations because then you don't have these narratives that they're immediately out of the playoff coming out of week one. Yes, look, again, I was at Georgia, Oregon, and if you go by 24-7 Sports' team talent rankings, something that our buddy Ari Wasserman almost swears by, basically just it judges every player you have on their high school star rating. 
Georgia is second in the country in talent. Oregon is seventh. That's pretty close, right? Five spots away. That sounds, seems pretty sounds close. Sounds close. Sounds close. But it. But if you look at the the point total score that each team has, the distance between two and seven is the same as the distance between seven and eighteen and nineteen. That's where Auburn and Tennessee sit. That's the talent level difference between Oregon and Georgia. And look, it's not all five star talent. Stetson Bennett, obviously a former walk-on, while Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback, is a former five-star. It doesn't always work out that way. But Malachi Starks, who made that ridiculous diving interception in the first quarter, that's a five-star player. Uh, Darnell Henderson, the tight end, who broke a tackle, hurdled a guy, monster of a human being in terms of his size, that's a five-star player. And that's where Dan Lanning needs to get Oregon to be. Dan Lanning knows the talent difference between these teams because he was the Georgia defensive coordinator last year. He recruited a lot of that talent. And Kirby Smart said after the game something that a lot of coaches really don't say, and that is, we just have better players. And he goes, Dan Lanning won't say it, but he knows we've got better players. And Kirby's right. Uh, Georgia does have better players. Georgia and Alabama and kind of Ohio State are clear one, two, three of talent rankings. And if, if Oregon wants to get into that national championship picture, which is what Dan Lanning was hired to do, which is what he took the job to do, he knows he's got to get a lot more talent up there. Let's hit on two other Rocky relationships. Um, these are programs that it's kind of unusual uh, or feels weird to be putting them in this category, that, that things don't appear smooth, that things are dicey, the future seems uncertain based on the past. Um, so you can pick the order, but I want to talk about Boise State and I want to talk about Navy and what's going on with both of these programs, Chris. Uh, not great opening weekend for those two. Boise State found itself down 24-0 at halftime at Oregon State. They lose 34-17. to They never had a chance. Hank Bachmeyer gets pulled after throwing two interceptions in the first half. Uh, Taylor Green, the backup, takes over. Runs for more than 100 yards and two touchdowns. Was kind of hit and miss in the passing game. Uh, and so now you've kind of got a quarterback controversy going on at Boise State. But I think the biggest takeaway was Boise State is struggling. They had their worst season in two decades last year. They're going 7-5. and five, And we're not really talking about how Boise State is struggling, which is maybe even in bigger indictment of where that program has fallen over the last couple of years. When they started the playoff, I think we all thought Boise State would be the top group of five team every single year. And we'd be saying, I remember writing about this, heading into maybe the first year of the playoff, was, you know, what if there's an undefeated Boise State team? You know, can they get in the playoff? Can we do that? And it just, it's been a while since Boise State has been that kind of Boise State. I mean, Cincinnati, UCF, mm -hmm. all these other programs kind of supplanted that taking that mantle, we're talking about Houston that way this year, right? As like the, the top group of five team potentially after they staved off elimination and in triple overtime. But I think that it is an indictment of where they are. They've had different coaches, which is part of it as well. Um, but I, I think that that is, is it, is it a, that this was like a Chris Peterson magic thing or is this, the changing world of college sports like that maybe some of the players who typically would have landed at a Boise state or been developed at a Boise state are elsewhere now. That last point's a good, a good 
spot. But I, I think more than anything, it shows it is so hard to sustain what they sustained for so long to go from Dan Hawkins to Chris Peterson to Brian Harson and barely have much of a drop-off. Harson made the Fiesta Bowl in his first season there in 2014, the first year of the playoff. But after that, Boise was losing two, three games a year. And that was kind of the way for the rest of Harson's tenure. He goes off to Auburn. Andy Avalos comes in, former defensive coordinator, former player. Seems like the absolute perfect fit for Boise State. You can't imagine a guy who knows that place more. They go 7-5 and five last year with some uncharacteristic losses, some close losses, but they also beat BYU on the road and they whipped a ranked Fresno State team on the road. And I talked to Andy Avalos in the offseason. He said halfway through last year they, they figured it out. They figured out how to get more of an edge on the team, and he thought that would carry over into this year. Now, that loss to Oregon State, five turnovers, you have a fumble inside the five-yard line. Maybe it was just a game of absolute bad luck and it won't happen again. But coming off of a 7-5 season last year, um, things are not trending in a good way there. The other team where things are not trending in a great direction is Navy. This is a tough one. I, I know you and I both have really enjoyed spending time with the Navy coaching staff. We like the service academies. I think, you know, we've both covered Army-Navy. We have written a lot about the rivalries between these programs. You've done a lot of state of, prog- state of programs. I've done some Army ones. And, and I think it's great for college football when Army and Navy are competitive, when they have these great games at the end of the season. For a long time, Navy was just kind of kicking Army's ass. And then Jeff Munkin got this thing rolling. And, you know, Army is in a good place. Air Force has kind of always been in a good place. But Navy has fallen off. And is it fair to say that it has aligned with them joining a conference? It's... Some of it. Some of it has. I think you can't ignore that. I think you can't ignore that that's part of it, that teams are used to facing their triple option every year now. But look, Delaware is not in the AAC, and Navy just lost 14-7 to to Delaware on Saturday. Navy fumbled the ball three times. They went 0-3 on fourth down. It was not good. Um, and Kenny Matololo said to me in the summer, he's like, look, the last couple of years – COVID has really hurt us. The restrictions on practice, getting guys together, it was especially uh, difficult for the service academies. Um, Navy's missed a bowl game in three of the last four years. And so Niamatolo said, if this year doesn't work, then, then it might be an issue. I was kind of surprised he was pretty brutally honest about that. And an opening loss to Delaware tells me that there may be some real issues here. And it kind of gets into an uncomfortable spot here where a year ago, the athletic director, Chuck Gladchuk, Chuck Gladchuk, sorry, fired Ivan Jasper, the offensive coordinator, two games into the season. And Kenny Matalolo had to convince him to bring him back as quarterback's coach. One Never seen something weirdest, like that before. One of the weirdest things that happened last year that we forget happened yes. last year. And both of those guys have been at Navy for decades. Like, these are not, this is not like new AD wants to come in and change things up. All three of the people involved in the sentence you just said have been there working together for a very, yeah. very, very long time. So they're all yeah. back, so which is also strange. The, the other difficult part about the current modern landscape of college football and service academies is they don't really take transfers because you're generally not transferring to be in the military. You got to go through basic training and all this stuff. It's also illegal 
for NIL deals if you're in the service academy. So those are two things that are additional constraints to programs that face a lot. Yeah, Jeff Munkin was kind of walking me through the transfer issue uh, earlier in the summer. So he's basically saying they can only take transfers if they're going to start over, like start over your college credits. So they can lose transfers, but they can't really bring them in in rare situations. So very strange and challenging dynamics there. Something to keep an eye on is to watch the Navy situation. Uh, Chris, let's go to our last call segment. Our last calls are for rants and raving. It's whatever you would want to buy a round of drinks at closing time and cheers to. Um, I think we both have, I think, mostly cheers today. Um, I will go first. My last call is going to programs that don't always get their shine. They don't always get their due. And there's some positive news we're going to share. Vanderbilt is 2-0. Rutgers' monster win over Boston College on the road this weekend. Big, big win for Greg Schiano. Duke wins 30-0 over Temple in Mike Elko's debut. It's their first shutout against an FBS opponent since 1989. This is what you get when you hire a defensive guy. It is not always the case that these programs have success. It is not always the case that they start out the season with big wins. And I just think we need to take a pause and we need to celebrate that because, you know, every fan base deserves that. People make fun of programs. People use certain programs as the butt of their jokes. But, you know, I know fans of all three of those fan bases who love their school, love their program. They have low expectations, but they love a win just as much as anybody else. And they love the idea of hope and they love the idea that things are turning around. And I just think it's awesome that there's a chance to celebrate Vanderbilt, Rutgers, and Duke coming out of week one, 2022. Completely agree. I just must also note that uh, it must be acknowledged that one of those teams is in New Jersey. One of those teams is coached by a guy from New Jersey, Duke and Mike Elko. So um, that may have been weighing on Nicole's mind Listen. Uh, as well. Just want well, the listeners to know that. Okay. Uh, yeah. We can talk about bias, the Jersey bias. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. I grew up 20 minutes from Rutgers. Never went to a Rutgers game until I had this job, first of all. The birthplace. Very, it's the, the birthplace. birthplace of college football. Yes. But I did not go until work sent me there, first of all. And I did visit with Mike Elko in the offseason, and we did discuss New Jersey. He is also from near me. So just just putting that out there, that, like, you know, these things could be connected, that maybe there's something in the water in Jersey that just is leading to some success. But, you know, you, you just – those two things, like Rutgers winning that game at BC the way that they won it, Against, you know, I'm I'm pretty high on BC. Like, I think that is that's going to yeah. be a decent ACC team, especially you know. Again, there's some O line issues, whatever. But Phil Dracovic, I like Jeff Halfley. I like the way they they built that program. That's a big win, and these are programs that recruit against each other for Northeast talent. There's just a similar vibe and energy and and all of that. So just that's a big win. And Duke has been really really down. I mean, this is a program that. Did the unthinkable, got to an ACC championship game undercut, but things have been really dire. It's been one ACC win in the last two seasons, and I know it's Temple. I know they got a brand new coach as well, but man, it's been a while since they had like an emphatic type win. And the same with Vanderbilt. We talked about this a little bit last week, but like their week one 
blowout win was the first time they've had a blowout win since before COVID. Like, there's just something they lost, East, they lost to East Tennessee last year. Vanderbilt lost to East Tennessee last year. These are just like therapeutic wins for these programs yeah. that don't always happen. So that's my last call. Take it away. Absolutely. Uh, mine is uh, we're going to go in the direction of Appalachian State head coach Sean Clark. I just cannot get over how insane that App State North Carolina game was. This was a 56 to 49 game with 38 seconds left. It ended at 63-61 without going to overtime. Just absolute bananas seen there in Boone. Uh, very, very cool to see a sold-out stadium and everything that, that went to. But I wanted to specifically give the shout-out to head coach Sean Clark. Um, difficult finish to the game to App State. They missed two two-point conversions on the first one. Quarterback Chase Bryce kind of overthrows the um, I don't know, a receiver or running back who was kind of wide open uh, in the end zone. That would have uh, that would have given them the lead. They missed that, and they get another chance to go for the tie. Uh, Bryce ends up running the ball, gets stopped one yard short. Bryce had an incredible game. He was Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week, but you know he's got to be hurting after those two plays like that. And when Sean Clark was finished with his press conference and Chase Bryce was, was there next to him, uh, Clark stood up with him and said, this guy's got guts. He's a damn winner. He fought his tail off today. I love this kid. That right there, he bleeds black and gold. Keep your head up. The clips around uh, clips around Twitter a bit. Very cool moment to just stand up for for a player like that in a very tough situation. Some people, you'll always have some fans that, that get upset about certain plays like that, but very, very cool to just see Sean Clark make sure that the Appalachian State fans um, support Chase Bryce after a tough finish, after it was a really strong game. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, I love when coaches do that, and... Man, I mean, between that and the the ECU game, you really felt for for both those teams, and you really wanted at least one of them to pull through. Um, but just an incredible game, one of the wild ones of Week One. Um, yeah, and it's just it's it's really cool to have the head coach do that and go out of their way to do that when they know that there is a lot of pain and a fan base that could be really frustrated. Um, so cheers. To Sean Clark, cheers to App State. That was a, you know, they did just about everything they could possibly do to try to win that game. Um, also, maybe teams should not go there and play a game in Boone. That seems like no, a they should. very difficult. Every, everybody go to Boone. It's an awesome place. Uh, I, I love that North Carolina went to Boone. I love that NC State went to ECU. I love that Virginia Tech went to Old Dominion and has now lost there twice in a row and is still going to go there three more times for the rest of this decade. I don't know why. they got to recruit the Tidewater <laughs> area. I get it. But I just I love that you have these ACC teams traveling to these in-state group but of five teams for I the sake of rivalry. I think every coach in the ACC and elsewhere is watching that and going, oh, my God, I can't believe you're scheduling these games. We love it. Absolutely. But, yes, I do think that that is potentially terrifying. Those are all hard environments to walk into. Um, So that'll do it for Last Call. That'll do it for this week's Power Hour. Um, This has been a blast. Um, Always great to be joined by Athletics senior writer Chris Benini. The Power Hour will be back next Tuesday. We will break down everything that you need to know in college football. I'm Nicole Auerbach, and you can listen to the Andy Staples and Friends feed for the rest of the week. You can listen to Max and Sam and Ari and Andy and everybody else. Uh, they'll get you covered. We've got a lot of shows now that the season is underway. Power Hour will be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Enjoy the games this week.